Welcome everybody to the Too High Podcast. This is take two of the current episode with uh, myself, Deontay Lee, and our special guest, Benjamin Solak. We recorded about 15 minutes and it was pretty bad, so we're restarting. 15? Uh, guys, what's going on? It was like four minutes. Okay, it was like four minutes. It really must have been painful for you then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, everything has to be quality here on the Too High Podcast, from the audio quality to the ad reads to our guests. Everything has to be top-notch A+. And if we don't get it, we restart and we do it again. So That's uh, Seth's opinion. I think that it's perfectly <laughs> fine. I'm, I grew up with the shutdown forecast. I think that sometimes the worse, the better. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I remember I sent a tweet like earlier in the year just being like, I go to Deontay and Seth for everything. Like everybody should listen to Deontay and Seth. They do the, like just such good analysis. And I wasn't able to somehow weasel into the character limit. You got to survive through the podcast though. You got to change audios and you got to figure out what Seth's trying to say about the saints. Cause he just gets emotional and cuts off his own sentences. You got to get through it a little bit, but trust me, it's worth it. Yeah. Well, good thing. We're not talking about the saints too much today. No, uh, instead, uh, we are going to start with Cam Newton because those, that news just came out that he is signing with, his old team, the Carolina Panthers. Quick thoughts, Ben, on the signing. So surprised by the amount of money, right? Ian Rappaport reports it's $4.5 million guaranteed, $1.5 million roster bonus. Uh, it was unclear in, in the tweet whether or not like the $1.5 million roster bonus was part of the four point five or not. I don't, I'm not sure if he clarified that. But anyway, somewhere between four point five and $6 million guaranteed. Healthy amount of money uh, for a, a, a mid-season quarterback signing. Though... If anybody knows the value of Cam Newton, it's the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Carolina just continues to – Carolina, like, thinks they're the Rams, right, where they're just like, we're going to make big swings, we're going to sign big contracts, make big trades, we're going to maximize our winning window, but they're just, like, not the Rams. This is what it would look like if what the Rams did do with Les Need and Sean McVay were to be done by, like, an average team, right? I think that's a good way of framing why we, we generally like it when the Rams are aggressive. This feels like too much. This feels like the Panthers are, are a little bit pot committed. They're just kind of digging themselves a hole, trying to be competitive with Matt Rule, trying to be aggressive with new GM Scott Fitterer. And it's like, all right, at some point, you guys are going to have to slow down and acknowledge that, like, for as many good pieces as you've got, good receiver core, good edge room, you know, young linebacking core, young corners, got some talented players, you should probably, like, chill out a little bit and just like get quarterback figured out on a regular timeline, understanding that like you can't reclaim Sam Darnold and you can't reclaim Cam Newton and like really elevate these guys right away. You just don't have that level of firepower. So he'll be better for them than Sam was, and, and he'll win a couple games for them. Cam still big, huge, and aggressive. You know what I mean? Like he's still going to be a great runner. We've seen him be a quality thrower at times in New England in 2020. You know what I mean? Like there's there's talent that's going to help the Panthers win a couple games they're probably going to be in the same spot come the offseason that they were going to be in with Sam Darnold, which is that they've got a, a weird quarterback room full of potential starters, but you don't really feel great about any of the options in there. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that what Ben's angle is is probably something that I share with him. Like, I'm obviously a Cam Newton fan, and I'm glad that, you know, the that he gets this moment to return to Carolina. I, I would probably guess that this will probably be his last season in the NFL no matter what happens here. They'll probably be able to kind of ride it off into the sunset because I can't imagine going this deep into the season and only really having interest from the team that drafted you and had you there for, you know, a decade, almost a decade or whatever before letting you go and bringing you back. That there's a lot of interest unless he absolutely blows it up this season. Um, but I will say, like, the reason why I agree with Ben is because of the messaging that you're sending throughout the franchise. Like, all the moves that they've made to me 
seemed to be, hey, we're going young, we're developing our own, we want to make sure these guys are good, and then we'll pay our young, good players, which is a perfectly viable thing to do after you let go of Cam Newton as your franchise quarterback, right? But what they've done with the quarterback position since almost signals like a coach on the hot seat. Like, this is what I would expect from a coach that's maybe in his last year. Okay, I'm going to trade for the young guy that had some promise in one spot, um, and see if he can see if he can figure it out here with me because I'm the new coach. Um, I'll be able to fix him in ways that Adam Gase couldn't. Not working. Okay, I'll go get the veteran <laughs> that you know was kind of that was on the free agent heap for a little while and see if we can make something work here as well. I, I think that it would serve them better to just take a step back, like Ben said, and commit to we're going to go get a young quarterback. Like we've got all these other young talented pieces mm-hmm. that has a long term contract. He might be a little raw right now, but we'll figure it out over time, and then we'll reevaluate where we're at um, as a franchise from there because all the other pieces are there, but the moves they're making now is exactly how you end up five years from now looking and saying, hey, all those good guys we had when they were young and cheap, now they're young and expensive, and we really don't have anything to show for it because we wasted all this time bouncing around from quarterback to quarterback. I very much agree. uh, It's very fun to think about this team with the Stephon Gilmore trade having taken Justin Fields at eight. And that means no J.C. Horn, but I still think you're going to get a couple good years out of Stephon Gilmore. That was a good football player in 2019. Like, it's not like he, I think, is all the way off the cliff yet. And even, like, we all love Justin Fields. Even if it's, like, Mac, who's played well in New England, he's good. looks like he's going to be a solid NFL quarterback, you feel much better about the future of this team than you do with them having J.C. Horn plus whatever it is they're trying to do at quarterback right now. Yeah, I think that's, kind of where I'm at too I just don't understand what the quarterback situation is I also think like why couldn't you go and see what you had from PJ Walker maybe you know I know they're gonna start him this Sunday against the Cardinals right but now that you've signed Cam Newton he's not starting again after this yeah like once Cam Newton gets in the system and 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 gets a full week of practice he's he's your starter you're not paying the kind of money that you just mentioned to not play him so I'm just like, but just, but of course, these teams don't know. It's so much easier to to look at yourself and evaluate yourself from the outside. Uh, sorry, not evaluate yourself. It's easier to evaluate someone else from the outside because we re- we can just be like, hey, well, this team sucks. Uh, they don't, okay, they don't suck, suck, but they're not. They're clearly not the three and team that started the season, or they never were that team. So it's like, okay, well, why you don't need to go and pay Cam Newton? See what you have in PJ. Uh, you know, w- work your way through the issues there, lose some games, and it's not going to be the end of the world if you lose some games because you're not good anyways. You're not going to the playoffs. But, of course, it's so much harder to, to, to be in the room, I think, and, and make these decisions uh, because you feel like, hey, you know, maybe if we do get a, 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 a good version of Cam Newton this year, and, and we'll have to pay for that, clearly. But what if we do get a good version of Cam Newton? So then maybe we are this 3-0 team that started the season. And that's hard for them to say, like, oh, maybe. And, and like you said, they already put some – they've already traded assets for, for good players like Stephon Gilmore, obviously for Sam Darnold. So this is clearly what they're trying to do. So I don't know. I'm, like, torn on it. Uh, I don't think they're a good football team. But I do think that you can you can probably find something in Cam Newton that gets you – that gets you somewhere, though it's become it's it's not as easy a division, I think, as maybe we would have thought in the early part of the season with Atlanta coming on and the Saints being mm-hmm. better than I thought a lot of people expected. So yeah, not a lot of Saints talk. Seth said at the top. 
and then that's somehow, it. That's the some end. way. Uh, all right, next topic. Is Odell Beckham's best fit with the New Orleans Saints, Ben? Yeah, see, that <laughs> one was coming from a mile away. So what is it? It is. It's uh, the Patriots are making a strong push. The Packers have been in there. The Saints have been in there. Uh, I don't think it gets better than the Packers, right, in terms of quarterback play, in terms of offensive design, in terms of depth chart as well. Like, Odell's not going to maybe get as many snaps in Green Bay just because Alan Lazard is, like, really important to how that offense works. Marcus Valdez scaling same idea. But when he's on the field, I think he's going to get better and higher quality targets than he would certainly in, with the Saints. Forgive me, but you just can't. I don't think you can trust the quarterback play there. Uh, and then in New England, which – would also work, but also I feel like just given the way that Mac plays, what they already have in Aguilar, like they're just going to use him more as a, a short and intermediate separator, which I think would be fine. But also, I, I I hold Odell in a higher esteem than that, right? And I think that, that it's more fun to imagine him working more vertically with Rodgers, which I think is, is what you could get done there. So to me, I think Green Bay is probably the best fit. I haven't heard too much on the Kansas City front. That's also a great fit just in terms of like quality of targets, where he's going to get his looks, how often he's going to get his looks. Um there's no reason to continue throwing the ball to Michael Hardman at this point, right? So it's like you, you do want a player like Odell to step in as wide receiver too, but I haven't really heard as much about that. So I'd be fine with the Saints. He'd look awesome. Jersey, Saints jerseys are so nice. For that reason alone, it clears the bar for me, but I'm, I think I'm rooting for Green Bay. I would say that um, like you've been, um, I kind of have it separated into two tiers, and I think a lot of it comes down to what Odell views as value, like his value added to the offense that he goes to play for. Mm -hmm. So with the Kansas City and Green Bay, I think that it's a lot like what you said. Maybe the snap count is a little bit down, and maybe the share of targets is down from what you would a player like Odell might expect stepping into a new place. But I think the value of his targets there would be much higher than where it would be at um, in New England or New Orleans. Or on the flip side with those two teams, if what he really values is just the vol truly just the volume of targets right. being someplace where he can be fed a bunch, then that makes a lot of sense. Because I you know, we we can all envision exactly what he would be in New Orleans. They're basically going to take every play that they've ever run for Michael Thomas and just drop him into that. And that's yeah. going to be the offense for him. In New England, he would be that third down option for them. You know, whenever Mac needs to find somebody in that you know, eight to eight to 12 yard range, you know, on a slant, on a curl, on something over the ball, on drags and things like that. There are ways that they can manufacture touches for him as well. I personally would like to see him in a situation like a Kansas City, like a Green Bay, where he is going to be pushing the ball maybe a little bit more vertically, where they can really kind of scheme up some plays for him to not only be a part of the game, but truly affect the outcome of it versus a place like New England or New Orleans where maybe we see more catches, which will look nice for him from a narrative perspective coming out of Cleveland. But I don't know how much affecting of winning he would be doing. And I think that leaving Cleveland, I would hope that his number one objective is to go someplace where he can go affect winning. And I can't imagine better places in Kansas City and Green Bay. Honestly, big, big brain play is making the Saints play the Titans with no Alvin Kamara this Sunday and then asking them how much money they want to give you, Odell Beckham Jr., for the rest of the season. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good good, good move yeah, there. Heck of a leverage move. A poem. Yeah, that'd be a great leverage move. Yeah, it's all, so, all Kamara's targets. That hurts. I agree with you guys that I think Green Bay is, like, such a crazy place for him to go, given what we know about their offense. Now, I will say, obviously, you're talking about, like, quarterback play in those two places, Green Bay and Kansas City compared to New Orleans. 
I don't know if you guys watched Trevor Simeon put on an MVP performance against the Atlanta Falcons, so I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. Let's see but... it against maybe not the Atlanta Falcons. Did you see yeah. Dean Pease got asked today how much of his defense he's, like, given to the Falcons, like how much they've done. He's, like, 30%. <laughs> like, that's just the well, personnel he's got. He had, a, he had a quote, like, a few weeks ago where they were asking, like, are you going to try to pressure the quarterback more? And he was like, no. And they're like, why? And he's like, because we tried that early in the year. We couldn't do it. We can't cover behind it. Yeah, they're just—they're so simple right now. They, the Saints. I've no, I haven't seen a team dominate um, from guard to guard or like inside the tackles like I saw the Saints do. Mm-hmm. Um, and even with a guy like Grady Jarrett there, who's just not not at his at his highest level, right. I think um, the the Falcons' interior defense is horrible. And Deion Jones is not the player he was. Grady Jarrett is not the player he was, especially against the run. Uh, so yeah, it's it's rough. You could you and once you can do that, once you can dominate and get double teams pushed to you know six yards down the field, you can do whatever you want. Exactly. Um, now, obviously, still Trevor Simeon is an MVP quarterback, regardless of that uh, of that fact. Uh, so, but I, I'll stick. Let's stick on the Packers for one second, just because I do think it's interesting. Like I'm trying to figure out where where Beckham goes in that offense, because like you said, I think they they can. They, they don't have to give him a million snaps. They don't have to put him on the field every play like he would be in New Orleans or, or in New England. But does it fit in the sense that, hey, now we can even live in more worlds where Devontae Adams is in the slot and you know do all the really fun stuff we do with him in the slot, whether it's the bubble screens, whether it's any type of RPO screen. Whether it's the weeks, you know, an option route underneath that they that they do, or running him on that um, we call like the middle read route, where he's you know running across the middle, down the middle of the field, and he's making the decision on like 10, 12 yards, and he's always finding the green grass. Like, if we keep him there, do we like now Beckham on the outside, where he's obviously that's where he's played his whole career, and he's just this vertical runner, and that's just fits. Aaron Rodgers so much. Obviously, him and Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams have a great connection when he's running, when Devontae Adams is outside running those nine routes and getting those back shoulders. But I think Beckham is was doing that, you know, before Adams was in the league, right? So, like, right. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like that is such a brilliant connection. Um, and then you can still put Devontae Adams outside. It's not like you, you, can, you only have him in the slot now, but you can just, you know, you can uh, parcel it a little better, I think. Yeah, I think one of the things that I've that I've re-remembered is this Odell Beckham conversation has gone on in terms of like what percentage of his athleticism is he at? The prime Beckham years in which he was, he was like a nuts yak athlete, the movement skills are great, not taking that away from him. To me, those were typified by body control and ball adjustment, right? Like mm-hmm. it was it was the plays he would make against the sideline where you're like, oh, that ball's uncatchable, and then it just wasn't. Right. right? Because he had this ability to make catches outside of his frame that just dudes his size weren't making like that wiring wiry strength that that coordination whatever so i right i very much agree that i think you get the the outside the numbers cover to uncovered stuff that to me you don't get from a guy like marquez valda scantling like you like to run him on vertical stuff with the hopes that he's going to outrun a guy with the hopes that he's going to separate down well, and you're going to drop with, in a bucket with the hope that Devonta adams takes the safety 20 yards out of where he should be and then and right. he's wide open yeah and that's that's to me that's where he fits it's all right if you want to like cloud to adams right i want the other guy on the opposite sideline to be able to stress out a corner who's in off coverage you know what i mean like if i'm if, if he's like a quarter's corner or whatever right because I, I don't 
I, I like when Valdez Scantling does that well. And I, I, I think that you know, he can run that post and run away from guys. Like he has that skill, but he is just an inconsistent player. That's just who he is. Beckham mm-hmm. just gives you a lot more consistency in that guy. And to me, that's very important because uh, they lost Robert Tunyon as well. And when they wanted, they want to go like, you know, 12 personnel, but pass. Tunyon was a very important player to that. It lets them stay right. in their, their split zone, lets them stay in their like duo and whatever, because they have two tight ends on the field. And then Tunyon can go and like run the seam. Like you're talking about, now you're able to move Adams to that, still have that part of your offense. Obviously, he's not running it from the same position. But you're able to put Lazard on the field, half and be like an actual blocker. You're able to get Adams on reduced splits, and you can still put Odell outside. And you just get more control on the opposite sideline than I think you do with a guy like MVS. Yeah, I would say that it, it comes down again to what you what you think everybody's best use is. Um, because I think that I've liked, I've, I've honestly preferred this season the way that the Packers have been using Devontae a little bit more downfield and less like the second running back in the offense. You know, last year I think it was a little extreme with all the bubble screens and stuff to manufacture touches, but that is a big piece of the offense. I think that Odell could fit in that role, you know, and be that guy when they go into those three-by-one sets um, where it's a nub tight end on one side, three wide receivers on the other, and, you know, they're just hitting you with these bubble screens and these smoke screens and all that type of stuff. Like, you can still use some of his yak ability in that way, um, but – to Ben's point, again, I feel like I'm probably going to be agreeing with a lot of what he says today. Um, good news for me. Using using Adams, continuing to use Adams as a downfield threat instead of using Odell as a replacement for all the Adams stuff underneath, having him be another vertical threat to open up the rest of the offense, mm-hmm. I think that would give them an element that they really haven't had for as effective as they've been. And I would love to see what Rodgers looks like if he has two guys who can go win outside in one-on-one coverage. Yeah. That's something that will be – that's a rare occurrence – for a team that has as much talent and it has been paying as much money on offense and defense as it has. You don't really get those kinds of opportunities all that often. And the way that LaFleur calls and Aaron Jones executes, like the screen game and the, yes. the, the quick game, you already have your underneath guy. Like you exactly. don't you don't need that to come from a receiver. Jones is one of the best receiving backs in the league. So yeah. Send and they've been good at running the ball too. Like yeah. again, like to me, balance is not always about, you know, who's touching the ball, but what areas how you're attacking different areas of the field and what Aaron Jones has been as a runner, what they've had in the run game, because they're so good at scheming up these easy runs within this offense. I don't, again, I don't know if you need to have that horizontal stretch as much to open up those run lanes with your best receivers. That's the most pro air raid offense you'll ever hear Deontay be right there. Balance <laughs> is about where they get the touches, not how you run it. Yeah, yeah. That is dangerously close to air raid there. <laughs> All right, well, I guess I'm happy that we're all in agreement that OBJ's best fit is with New Orleans Saints. Uh, right now, you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use promo code Too High. that's T-W-O-H-I-G-H. Grades and data are live for every single player who logged the snap last week. Go check out the highest graded players from week numero 10. What can you get with a PFF subscription? All of PFF's locked article content, PFF's NFL and college football betting dashboards, our grade power projections, cover probabilities, and betting values, 0 to 100 grades of every single player, including the top rookies on every team, player prop tool, which shows a positive and negative value for every NFL prop, and much, much more. Support the pod and use promo code 2HIGH, T-W-O-H-I-G-H, for 25% off any PFF subscription. All right. I'm giving you guys both 39 seconds to fix the Philadelphia Eagles. Go. Okay. Uh, fire general manager. Uh, you're, 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 you're omnipresent Eagles fixer. Yeah. So fire the general manager. Uh, 
own, uh, don't spend money in free agency. Don't trade up, save picks, save money. Uh, let the, let the current veterans on defense cycle out. Let the current veterans on the offensive line cycle out. Draft the positions you haven't drafted in the last 15 years because there's no scheme that works with your current linebackers, safeties, and corners. doesn't exist. Uh, Jonathan Gannon's not running the best stuff, but it's not real. Uh, they have they have no young first contract players on defense right now. They don't they have none. Zero. They just extended Josh Sweat. There's none of them. So you gotta <laughs> stop spending money. You gotta get a new personnel department in there, and you gotta actually draft and hit on your picks. Otherwise, you're always playing from behind the eight ball. Yeah, I was gonna say this goes back to the conversation that I was having on social media around the Von Miller trade about the way the teams are built when they're contending and the price that you have to pay on the back end after being a contending team for an extended period of time, it's time to bottom out Philly. Like I, I know that we have tried to extend this window for as long as possible. It's over. Like the first thing I would do is go back two weeks and trade Fletcher Cox and go ahead and just let's go ahead and get all, let's get all the vets on the market, take mm -hmm. whatever draft compensation you can get back for it. Start clearing off some of the books Sending some guys there, you know, their way, um, and thanking them for their service. Not trading up, like Ben said. Start cutting guys, restructuring deals, and we're gonna bottom this thing out and start all the way over. And I think that none of that happens until they get some different leadership in the front office. Um, so that that would be step one in that process. But yeah, it's time to it's time to pay the actual price for wanting to go win Super Bowls. Right. You got to be bad. Like it's time to be bad. Yeah, and fair, fair deal. Love square exactly. deal. Loved it. I, I wouldn't trade. I wouldn't yeah. trade twenty seventeen so for the world. I, I will <laughs> fall asleep like a baby every night thinking about watching that Super Bowl. Right, no problem with it. And the other yeah. thing is like you can be a fun bad team. Exactly. The the the, the offense isn't good. It's fun. Jalen Hurts to me isn't a starting NFL quarterback. He's fun to watch. I'll, I tune in to watch him. I like watching them play. I like watching them throw the ball around the yard. So you can be a fun bad team. Just do it. Just, yeah. Like you know. No Commit. more like Fletcher Cox saying, oh, they don't pay me to play screens. They kind of do, brother. Uh, and, you know, if, you, if you're not at that stage in your career because you want to go win another championship because you're 31 and making big money, that, that some other team is on that timeline. We'll send you there. But you, you, you got to choose to be a bad team, and it can be okay. We'll still watch. Just you got to choose to do it. Okay, here's a harder question. Win, this, win like, as the omnipresent Eagles fixer, win them a Super Bowl with, or make let them – win the division how do you fix them and win the division within the next two years that's what i'm trying to ask like that's the harder question like like is there something mm -hmm. you could do there for a quick fix that's I not happen. that that couldn't happen in the building i don't know i don't know if there's an like an acquisition you can really make right now right. that would change their trajectory that much you i think i think you can get enough of an offense out of jalen hurts to win a division especially if the eagles continue to investigate the recent success they've had riding the football and they're yeah. able to get another year or two out of kelsey brandon brooks lane johnson right like if mm -hmm. kelsey and, and and brooks coming back from injury and lane you know dealing with ankles they they can all hang for another couple of years and you just really invest in running the football. You have Dallas Goddard. Go get yourself like a legit H-back. Become a 21, 22 personnel team. Yep. You can run the ball. Get your shot plays. Get Devontae Smith as a high-volume guy. You can be fine. Defensively, they would have to hit on like legitimately every single personnel move. Because yeah. already the defensive personnel wasn't great. They were living and dying by their defensive line. Think about what Tennessee's doing right now with Jim Schwartz in the building on defense. That's exactly what the Eagles were doing for like four years. Now they're running a system 
that minimizes the defensive line and mm-hmm. asks for, you know, seven dudes to drop into zone and make really good plays. They need a, a new corner two, a new safety one, safety two, a new linebacker one, linebacker two. That's five of the seven starting spots. They have their starting outside corner and slay, and then their nickel and Avante Maddox. You would have to make all of those moves successfully and then be able to get, like, you know, like they got Derek Barnett right now dropping into coverage because he's technically playing like an outside backer role for them. He's 265 and he can't do it. You, you also have to make changes on your defensive line where you've already invested resources. They have to hit so tremendously on the defensive line to execute what Gannon wants to do. And then even then, Gannon's scheme is a low ceiling approach. You know, yeah. it's how we've seen it in Indianapolis. They beat the bad teams and then they get to the playoffs. You run into a good quarterback, not afraid to cover to his own. <laughs> not much you can do. Uh, and so the offense would have to carry it. I think they could get an offense there if they really leaned into the run game. But defensively, to me, the mountain is too too tall to climb on like a one-and-a-half-year timeline. They, I don't understand they, what they do with their front. They, they have one of the weirder-looking players in each gap, like, I'd have to watch it again, but I remember I was watching, obviously certainly wasn't watching the Eagles defense, but I was watching some team playing the Eagles defense. And yeah, they play with, with like a five down front, but it's like, there's a no, there's not a, a zero nose, there's like a shade nose, and there's like, it's weird. I don't know, I can't even explain it. I don't even know why I brought it right. up. It's, it's not, not good. good. Right, they, they traded for Jannard Avery in 2018, benched him, he didn't fit in Schwartz's team for two seasons, and then they... They bring Gannon in, and Gannon's like, oh, I need Anthony Barr because he's a Zimmer guy, and the Eagles don't have an Anthony Barr. So we'll just make Gerard Avery an Anthony Barr. So now Avery's playing like 40% of the snaps. He was not rosterable for the old team, and now he's a key rotation player. They don't have the correct bodies to do what they want to do because their good bodies are not built for the scheme, and then the guys in the depth chart that they're trying to force into starting role aren't starting players. So you're, you're, you're between a rock and a hard place. All right, you wrote a very nice article on Thanks. Kyle Shanahan. And the issues that Shanahan finds himself as he goes through, as it looks like they're going through another, what could be a losing season. Obviously, I think they're three and five on the season, so they might not get to 500 this year. And you wrote about the reasons, the issues um, that present themselves between Kyle Shanahan, the kind of play designer and offense coordinator, play caller, versus Kyle Shanahan, the personnel guy. So yeah, what did you see when you when you when you? you look at the 49ers offense real quick jordan rodriguez of the athletics says i will say after a couple of conversations today i'm getting a strong sense that the rams are very much in play for odell beckham jr oh my god <laughs> enough is enough stop it's too much <laughs> oh man they're already not getting the ball enough to robert woods they're just like yeah odell it's fine uh in san francisco they have a very good offensive designer in Kyle Shanahan. He brought to them not only an offense that's very good across the league, but an offense that was good for their context. It let them get a starting quarterback for a second-round pick for multiple seasons. It's very hard to do, and they did that with Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, It let them bring in like a fifth-round tight end like George Kittle, second-round receiver like Debo Samuel, guys with pretty specific skill sets. Kittle's really, I think, rounded out in the league, but guys who had pretty specific skill sets who mattered to the team, mattered to the system, and maximized those players. And we've seen him do this with running back for years. Matt Breda, Raheem Mostert, Alfred Morris, like guys who play the game in different ways, he can find a way to get them the ball correctly in the running game and execute. Shanahan brings a really good offense to San Francisco. That worked well. And for that reason, the 49ers should attempt to retain Kyle Shanahan as their head coach so as to retain the offense. With that said, there is a little bit of a, a talent drain happening in offense. Their offensive line coach, Sean Benton, is gone. 
their wide receivers coach left Michael floor, right? He's now the OC with the jets. And so they're dealing with that a little bit. So the offense is taking a bit of a step back and it's changing its identity a little bit. That happens. I think that's fine. That isn't a problem, but in order for that offense to remain successful, the personnel department has to continue funneling talent into the offense. And that has been an issue for San Francisco. And when you get, you know, ankle deep in it, you go, well, yeah, they haven't, they haven't really drafted well. They've drafted a lot on offense, and those players haven't really panned out. But once you get, like, knee deep, once you get like, elbow deep and you really get into it, you start to understand, firstly, Kyle Shanahan has a lot more influence over who gets brought into the building than the average head coach does. He talked about this uh, on Flying Coach with Sean McVay over the offseason about how San Francisco was an attractive spot to him in part because – they were open at general manager and John Lynch was somebody who was interested in doing it. And he wanted to work with Lynch because he knew he was going to be able to have uh, more influence over personnel decisions. You can also see it in what happens. They Mohamed Sanu is starting for them right now. Mohamed Sanu is not really what Mohamed Sanu once was the last time he was true. Mohamed Sanu, he was playing for Kyle Shanahan and the Atlanta Falcons, right? In 2016. So uh, you can see the influence he has on personnel, but really the big issue is an issue that simply does not get talked about enough in the the paradigms of team building in the nfl we talk about personnel departments and coaching staffs we talk about getting good players and then putting good players in good positions we don't talk about the thing that links those two which is player development bringing in a player with a plan and an idea and an understanding of how to get that player from where he is to a better more complete position we talk about it with quarterbacks almost exclusively we always say do you sit him or do you start him as a rookie how is he going to learn how is he going to grow it depends on your ability your your coaches, your positional coaches, your guys in the building, your veterans, and what you think is best for him. You got to sit down with a guy and talk to him. You got to know how he learns, and you got to try to put him in those situations to learn. Some quarterbacks, Zach Wilson, want to go out there and just chuck the thing. They're going to learn by doing. They're going to learn by making mistakes. Zach said that as much himself. A guy like Patrick Mahomes sat for a year and was able to learn doing that. He was able to settle into NFL progressions and play calls and whatever, right? So you have different ways that players develop. The 49ers' major problem is player development. Uh, they do not get guys into the building who get better over time. They get Brandon Ayuk. They get him out there in his rookie season. He plays well. And then all of a sudden, his second season, they don't want him on the field. And then he gets back on the field because of injuries, and he's playing well. And you don't understand what the, the obstacle was, what the impediment was, why the arc was like this. And then you look at Dante Pettis, who was a second-round pick for them at wide receiver, who in his rookie season got on the field and played well. And then for his second season – couldn't get on the field and there were not as many injuries for him. And so he didn't get as much volume as Ayuk did. And eventually he gets cut for the giants. There's Joe Williams, who was a fourth round pick for them at running back who never saw the field, even though Kyle Shanahan forced John Lynch to trade up to go get him when he wasn't even on the board. There's Trey Sermon, who was a third round pick at running back, who was a exciting, you know, preseason guy for them, but they don't like the way he prepares. He's fifth string on the depth chart. There's Diamond Lenore who's the rookie fifth round corner, which is the weakest position on their defense. And they're starting Dre Kirkpatrick and Josh Norman over this guy, who's a good cover man. But he made like one big mistake against the Eagles. Rookie fifth round pick at corner. One big mistake. And they're not putting him on the field anymore. Kyle Shanahan's uh, coaching staff does not know how to live through rookie growing pains and bring those players to a point where they're more consistent players. Just deal with rookies being rookies and get them to a, a spot where you can trust them. They don't know how to do that. They haven't successfully done that. All of their rookies right now, like guys who they drafted who are playing well, are dudes that came in and were good. Fred Warner came in and was just good. George Kittle came in and was just, just took stuff over. They didn't really get these guys to a place. Debo is maybe your only argument for that. So 
Shanahan's offense is good. It should stay. Kyle Shanahan could, should remain the head coach in San Francisco. But ownership needs to sit down, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, and say, we're bringing in players for this offense with Shanahan's input, and we are failing to develop them, to invest in them, to, 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 to replace the aging veterans on this team with those young, first-contract, cheap players. Why? And if it's Shanahan needs to get taken out of the draft room, they got to do that. If it's Shanahan needs less input over who starts on game day, they got to do that. But somehow, in some way, they need to get their rookies to a, a point where they can trust them and put them on the field because they're just plugging every gap they can with Tom Compton and with Josh Norman and 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 every gap they plug to more spring open. And this is just it's a failing effort here to to try to keep this ship afloat with duct tape, with hopes, with prayers, and with veterans. That's gonna blow up at some point. They have to reassess how they build the team and how they bring on these these rookie players. Thank to you. me, like this was. Like what you were saying was even more validated when I started looking at some of the data. Like basically what you see, especially with them on offense, is that they're still like top half in the league in just about everything. Mm -hmm. Generating explosive plays, success rate, you know, basically everything outside of just getting in the end zone. And a lot of that I think is just kind of like some dumb luck. Like they've had some bad third down games, but they've been able to move the football. Um, obviously the defense has taken a bit of a step back this season. Um, they've had a little bit more struggles on that end than usual. Um, but to me, I think a lot of the stuff, especially when you start talking about when 49ers fans will kind of rationalize some things behind like injury luck and things like that, that's where your argument is really kind of hammered home in that if there was more of an investment being made in developing what was on the back end of this roster with your young players, stuff like that could be avoided or much, easy, much more easily avoided than what it's been. Because been, they've had multiple years now where injuries have basically tanked the season. And on a certain level, everybody's got to be prepared or have some kind of contingency plan to deal with guys being hurt or unavailable or performing below uh, what the typical standard is. And I think that, I mean, Shanahan has just kind of been the typical head coach with personnel control, right? Like one, mm -hmm. one eventually betrays the other. Like it's hard to be good at both. We don't have enough examples of guys being good at both. Um, and for that reason, and I think one of the big issues with San Francisco is that they don't have a president of football operations that's really in a position to take that role away from him, right? Like, right. Shanahan basically hired the GM. Like, Lynch is Shanahan's guy. You know, it's not really the other way around. And for that reason, like, I do have some concerns about what, what this franchise is, what kind of place they're in um, for, the next few, for the next few seasons. You know, unless they knock some draft out of the park to your point where he gets the kind of players that are ready to contribute in year one which I think gets severely underrated on how rare it is to get real winning contributors right. as first and second year players, they're going to be in trouble. They're going, they are already turning into a stars and scrubs roster. And because Shanahan does not trust the young guys, he's cutting the, he's cutting this team's performance short. Because one thing the data is saying is that they're still good at what they do. I just don't think they have a good, enough good players. And on a certain level, that's got to fall on the shoulders of the guy who gets to make the final call in, in personnel. Cool. <laughs> well, that, I agree with both of you guys. I don't know. I don't really have anything so much more to add about, about them. I do think that, like, you know, they do have this explosive play issue, I think. Um, and that's just, for me, that's just, like, what he's had to do kind of scheming around around Jimmy Garoppolo, who just like only wants to throw right. who 
I don't know if he only wants to throw over the middle of the field, like within this, like, uh, you know, 10 yard down the field between the hashes kind of radius. I don't know if that's what he wants to do or that's what uh, Kyle Shanahan, like, feels like he can do. But that's their whole offense is just that. And so it's like, it's 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 it keeps shrinking. I find, like it's they used to be able to, yeah. yeah. And it just like the, the everything just keeps shrinking and shrinking. And like, yes. oh my god, we can only do this. Oh my god, we can only do this. Oh my god, we can only do this. To so, your, and to your I, I'll just to say that like oh, when ahead. we saw Trey Lance for like a game and a half, we saw a very different offense. So I'm hoping that that helps them because I, I do like watching the Shanahan offense, and I'd like to see him. I mean, he'll always be in the NFL somewhere, of course. But I do like watching the offense, so I'm like hoping that they can figure this whole thing out. Right. I mean, and to your point about things shrinking, like they're third in the amount and the rate of contested targets they have. That to me is a pretty damning stat because it's not like Jimmy Garoppolo is some tight window thrower. Mm-hmm. That's not him trying to fit the ball, you know, with these big boy A plus level throws. That's defenses understanding the fact that there's no way they can take the top off of the defense. So everything that's explosive for them is probably is really more on like right on the 15 yard line and defenses are just sitting on those curl routes. They're sitting on the crossers. They're sitting on those comebacks along the sideline because that's as downfield as this offense is going to get. And because they're not as dominant in their 21 personnel run game stuff, they're not able to set up all those designer plays where Jimmy can get out, you know, by the numbers on some rollout and then just uncork this post corner route that nobody's covering because you've put all of these defenders in so much conflict with the way you've been able to run the ball and all these condensed formations. That's been really, really telling to me. They've had some drops issues, but I don't think it's an issue of like receivers not being talented enough. A lot of a lot of those drops are coming on contested targets. Um, there's just not enough open, you know, and Seth and I know we talk a lot about degree of difficulty for an offense. And in terms of degree of difficulty, there are not many um, that are operating with a higher one than right. San Francisco right now. And that I think is that's that's the key thing to me, like for San Francisco fans right now. It was it's not supposed to look like this. It was never supposed to look like this. Right. right. Like Raheem Mostert's gone is out. Right. They, they, they don't have him. He was a much more trustworthy runner than Elijah Mitchell. Speed, big playability, sure, but like they they would run Monster on a lot more like zone stuff because they trusted him. Mitchell, they're they're running that toss to him a lot more because he just doesn't read out and press zone at this stage the way that they want him to. That's a narrowing effect that starts to take away some of the stuff that you want to do. You lost Kittle for a few games. Kittle allows you to do a lot of stuff out of your 21-12 personnel running game, right? Kittle is a is a huge force multiplier for the running game because teams have to be worried about him in the passing game. You don't want a linebacker on him, but he's a devastating blocker. That narrows what you can do, right? And then the Trey Lance effect. Of course, they want Trey Lance to be out there. They do. At, uh, you're hoping that at some point soon they're going to understand, take a pass on this season, bench Jimmy, put Trey Lance out there, and, and let him get reps because Trey absolutely needs reps to develop. Like, he... He played one year at the FCS level. There's no way he walks out into the NFL field a polished product. It doesn't matter how much work you do with him on the chalkboard, how much time you give him. He just has to play it at speed, in my opinion, to get there. And he's going to make mistakes. So hopefully they get to that point. Once we kind of fold all that back in, this offense could look a lot better. And as we've brought up, it already looks fine. This team could have this year realistically won a lot of games. Injuries didn't break their way, and they haven't. That sucks. But... Shanahan drafted Lance. They've got good weapons who are going to come back from injury, hopefully this year and into next season. Winning solves everything, right? 
go ahead and get get the offense out there you wanted to be out there. Win a few football games. Nobody cares about all the dumb stuff you've done in the personnel department. It's the record right now that's putting this stuff into a harsher light. Yeah, I'm just I'm just looking at the uh, the play action targets and where they are on the field uh, for the San Francisco 49ers. And they are like even the play action stuff. Like when I, when I when I talk about the 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 offense shrinking, I'm mostly talking about um, the drop back passing game. But even the play action stuff is shrinking as well. So like I just look at the difference between like uh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this, but looking at the difference between like where the targets are with Stafford off play action this year versus where uh, the targets are when Jimmy's off play action, and you have basically zero targets or barely any targets above 20 yards. Um, and with Stafford, you have a whole bunch of targets. Um, I'm looking at the heat map, so I can't give you exact numbers, but uh, you'll have to trust my visuals here. But you just have so much more targets above 20 yards. And I think with where like, how do you get explosive plays with within the kind of this like wide zone offense without the quarterback, which we've seen with Kirk Cousins, we've seen with Jared Goff, we've seen with Jim Garoppolo himself. It's like it's it's going to be off the play action, and they're just so like if you're already in your drop back game, you don't trust the man to do anything, and then even in your play action game, you're not creating any explosive plays. Like it's gonna it's going to look fucking bad, yeah, and it does. Like it's gonna look really really bad, and and it's funny like Deontay hit it on the head because it's like it's a tough offense to run because it does they, it they do all the stuff that we talk about. Um, are like fun to watch a quarterback do, which is like, you know, put a put a put a weak hook player in a high low bind, mm-hmm. and like run a run a little quick hook route in front of him, and run the dig behind him, and like read it out, and do like Peyton Manning, and do all that stuff. Like that's like tough quarterback play. But it's like, a Jimmy Garoppolo is not a great quarterback, so putting him in that type of offense where all they do is run swirl routes and digs, like. He's gonna go blind for four plays a game. I don't know why I said it like that. It's not he's wrong. Gonna, I said it that's, like a that's Canadian. What there. happens? He's gonna go blind for like four plays a game, uh, and then he throws it to a linebacker, and it's like, okay, well that's a problem. And then I, I I'm not sure if it's an arm strength thing or whatever, but he it clearly doesn't trust him anywhere outside the numbers or outside the hashes really. So it's like. I just don't know where I don't know where the offense can go from here, um, regardless of the the personnel decisions. I just don't know where the offense can go now. Maybe if they had, I was gonna say if they had more yak guys, but I mean Depot and Kittle are yak kings, so yeah. it's like I don't even, I don't even know. I don't even know. The two passing plays that I can remember on Niners film this year over like 40, 35 yards are the Debo third and 23 screen touchdown against the Bears, where <laughs> Debo just got the ball and decided he was going to score. Uh, and then the, the coverage bust with Lance in there against the Seahawks, right, where they ran the, the out and up, which was Debo again. Uh, it's, it's where do you go from here if you want to generate explosives? You, you already are funneling the ball to Debo. Continue doing it. It's all you've got at this point. And he's such a special stupidly good player that honestly I don't even hate it as a as a you know patch for the issue at this time uh cool I got nothing to say about the 49ers but I do want people to go to ringer.com and and find your article because it's it really puts uh, everything 
everything together in a really interesting way. Thanks, um, basically, everything you talked about, and it's really good. So um, go uh, support the pod by going to ringer.com. Uh, uh, all right, uh, next on the list is this home field ad read. A new partner for the two for, 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 Jesus, two for one. A new partner for, what, a new partner for Two High, po- Jesus. Your podcast is called the Two High Podcast, Seth. I take a deep breath here. A new partner for the Two High Podcast is Home Field Apparel. It's not really a new partner anymore. We've had it for like three months. A partner, one of our partners on the Two High Podcast is Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis, Indiana. Incredibly comfortable, officially licensed college apparel with vintage designs. Homefield is in the middle of Big New Saturday Season 2 where they launch a new school collection every Saturday at noon for 16 straight weeks. They just recently released Georgia, North Carolina, Florida, and this Saturday they'll be releasing another uh, go to homefieldapparel.com. Use promo code PFF to get 15% off your first purchase. Uh, that's homefieldapparel.com. Promo code PFF for 15% off your first purchase. Uh, ben, you have news for us. Yeah, so rap sheet. Uh, free agent wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. is narrowing down his choices. Sources tell me and Kim Jones Sports. He's currently focused on the Packers and Rams. Those appear to be his finalists. Legit, like legitimately right. honest question. Like, how does he fit with the Rams? How, like, is it just, you just take Van Jefferson off the field That's and you're what, like, screw you, wait another year. That, and he's been good, too. That's the right. thing I don't really understand. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I'm really I'm interested like, to know, like, what role exactly is he taking up? Because, like, all of the option under now, underneath exactly. route stuff is already goes to Cup, and Cup is elite at that stuff. You don't want to take him off of that. And Woods has been a killer on all their backside digs and working to you know working on the back ends of concepts. So we're Woods not that he can't be good. Become, like Alan Lazard for this team, he's just gonna block on half his snaps. Like that's just yeah, why I'm he's like, gonna be there. It's not that he's not gonna be good. Like it's cool. I guess teams <laughs> got to play him in dime all the time now. But I I don't know. Like I, I I'm not mad at the idea of just going and making a strength a super strength. I'm I'm not gonna Schefter, protest former that. Former Browns wide receiver Odell Beckham Jr. is finalizing a deal with the Los Angeles Rams for sources. Shut Yo, up. what the heck, I knew man? It. I knew it. Dude. Crazy. What's the point of football, <laughs> man? Yo, Les Snead does not give up. Les Snead is me and Madden. I, I respect it. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm taking over the podcast, Seth. Deontay, legitimately as a defensive coordinator, what, what do you what, – what, how – what do you do? Um, honestly, you probably just try to blitz them blind and pray <laughs> that somebody can cover on the back end. I mean, you're not winning these one-on-ones every snap. I can tell you that for a fact, so – but again, like I'm just so fascinated by what this means, not just for Jefferson. I mean, obviously, if, if the debate comes down to are you going to keep Van Jefferson or are you going to play Odell right. Beckham? Sorry, Van. Like it's been nice. Uh, take a seat. Um, but yeah, like it's again, it's about share of touches. Like, is he just going to be the top off the defense guy? Like, I love that. <laughs> I mean, I love that if he still has that, you know, that top gear athletically. Um, is he going to just be like the contested catch guy? I like that role as well. Um, but yeah, I don't know what that does for for them offensively in the passing game. And then it's like, how many more touches is there to go around for their running backs? Because I kind of like what they can do with their eleven personnel run right. game. So I just don't know what the what is the plan for the identity of this offense going forward. And I'm going to spend all this time hemming and hawing about it. And then he's going to get 14 catches for 189 yards the first the first game he plays for the Rams. And I'm going to have to shut up <laughs> for the rest of the year. 
I don't. I just. This isn't even. This can't be legal, man. You, you can't. Like, you can't have this many cool players on one team. <laughs> I, I, I just. I don't, I don't know what, what is there to analyze. What is there to analyze? I guess they're just better. That's it. Right. They're just better now. I don't know. Like, I would love to, right, exactly, Dante. I'd love to be like, oh, like, you know, you run Beckham deep and you run Cup intermediate and they all can do it all. Like, you just do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it at all times. And you hope that Austin Corbett doesn't get bullied by Jeffrey Simmons for four quarters, man. I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to think about this. Honestly, it gives them backup if, you know, we talked about injuries before. Like, hey, you never know. You're, you're someone might go down. This this team wants to win a Super Bowl. This team is not obviously we know that they want to win a Super Bowl right now. So just put have a lot of good players, and then if something happens to some of your starters, you can just go to the well and and you'll find a uh, Pro Bowl player down there somewhere. I don't know, but I I agree that like figuring out his role is gonna be interesting because I think you can't take off. A, I don't think you want to become a, a, a pure 10 personnel team and take off Tyler Higby. But then, so then you're staying in 11 personnel, which is what they do. And that means less Van Jefferson, who's having a good year. He's not Odell Beckham, right? But he's having a good year. Mm-hmm. Or that means, hey, maybe we can get some more rest in there and, and get Cup and, or Woods off the field a little bit more. I don't know. In, the, in 11 personnel, I'm not really sure. I don't know. I don't know what this means. They just got better. That's all I know. It's going to be so hard to convince people Daryl Henderson is good. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be nine total reps to use in the second half That's of the what season. I'm, like, he's been good. I don't get it. He's been good. Well, oh. I get it, but like, man, uh, I, I, I need to see it. I just need to see it. I, I will have a lot less to say about it and a lot less skepticism about it once I see it. I just need to see it. I'm I'm happy because Deontay is going to let me talk about the Rams' offense in every single episode now going forward. So. Yep, it's going to be what 2019 LSU, 20, the, the Saints, and 2021 Rams. That's going to be the yeah. entire bit of, of the show going forward. Uh, the Saints are still winning the Super Bowl. I hope you guys know that, and they will beat the uh, Los Angeles Rams in the NFC title game. Okay. Uh, any any more thoughts off that? I mean, Ben, sorry, it's your podcast. Uh, right. Facts. Do you have any Do you have any questions for me? Maybe like I don't know. I could answer. No, I just this this is the sort of thing that just makes your head spin, right? Yeah. Like you know. Oh yeah, my job is to analyze football. Oh, what happens when the Rams add Odell? I don't freaking know, man. They just got a lot of receivers now, and it's gonna be nuts. I'm, I'm I I can't tell you how excited I am because it's it's just a cool uh, player. He's a cool player. Like exactly. I think all of us like him, like watching him play. And we'll get to see him on. They're playing a Sunday night football this week or next week, I think. Uh, or they, they just the, played on Sunday night. They have the 49ers. They just played, I no, my on yeah, they just played on Sunday night. Monday night. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited. I don't know what else to say. Just they really excited. gave Matthew Stafford Kenny Galladay on a Mario Mushroom. I can't <laughs> believe this. Yeah. That's. Uh, I'm just in shock. Uh, first of all, he should be a New Orleans Saint, and second of all, this is just—it's a lot. It's a lot to handle right now. Uh, okay, well let's let's move on. Um, the Buffalo Bills offense—that's what we want to talk about. That's what it says here in my notes. Ben, the Bills offense is not good anymore. Why is it not good anymore? Because they didn't have the right guard and the right tackle, and you know it's just dead. Uh, Josh Allen Jaguars version had the game of his life and you know it's okay I 
after the the week one Steelers game, we were all ready to jump on the Josh Allen is regressing train, and I didn't buy it then. Uh, and then after the Jaguars game, it was not a good game by him, but I, I, I still don't buy it. I think that they are... I, I, I go back to like, thinking about the Packers and our conversation about them and like, oh, what does Odell add? Well, it allows you to put a second receiver on the field and they're still going to use Lazard and like Tunyon because they're important to their running game and they're generally important to the structure. Uh, the Bills just have, they have such good receiver talent, but when Dawson Knox goes down, they don't really have great tight end talent, Tommy Sweeney. And then their running back talent really doesn't do much for them in pass protection. So they just have this problem where they're, they're really trying to protect with five men, sometimes six. The six-man is usually a liability. When they have these offensive line injuries, your five-man protection becomes a liability. You'd love for your quarterback in that context to be a quick to hot, quick to check down, you know, uh, eliminate the pass rush by getting rid of the ball quickly player. That is just not Josh Allen. It just Tigers don't really change their stripes. It's just not who he is as a player. Uh, so they don't have a great solution right now to when their offensive line is losing. And that's a worry because they're they're going to be a playoff team, right? They're going to they intend on making a deep playoff run. And if they catch like, you know, the Chiefs, then all right, fine. Like the Chiefs' deep pass rush isn't that good. You should be okay. You catch the Ravens, maybe. You know what I mean? Ravens' defense line isn't great this year, but it's pretty solid. You catch like the Titans in the way that they've been playing, you're screwed. You, you catch the Browns in the way that defense line's playing, you're screwed because uh, your offensive line is good. I don't think it's at that elite level where I just trust them implicitly. Uh, the other thing that I think matters, if we're continuing to talk about like how these wide receiver rooms are built out time for the Rams and the Packers, you saw them try, you see them do this every week. They did, I think, even more against the Jaguars just because of what they were getting. You see them try to run all these constraint plays. You see them try to run these RPOs and run these like wide receiver screens out of stack and like three by one with the quick to the flat and whatever. They just don't have any good blocking receivers, right? Like when you're trying to run a screen behind Emmanuel Sanders, it doesn't really matter who the guy with the ball is. Like that, that's just not a winning formula no matter what like the numbers and the angles are and I, I generally like how talented their receiver room is but it does hurt them when they try to replace their running game with like the rpo game and the quick pass game that they don't have a guy that they can put out there who they think will win a one-on-one block against a corner and it, it just it's so easy to say all right our running game is not that great but we're, we're feel very confident in our ability to get easy yardage in the passing game well yes and no like you do need to be able to execute that on the outside and they don't really execute that too well and so the easy stuff becomes unnecessarily hard for them and then when josh allen doesn't have his great game where he's consistently converting third and eights all of a sudden it makes offense very laborious right you you get these like consecutive three and outs and you're not winning field position position and now you're down and you're trying to push a little bit more and it just it kind of compounds on itself so i'm not anywhere near like the panic button but there's little stuff here that for the way they want to play offense is a problem that we're 10 weeks into the season they still don't have a solution for I think one of the issues is that, and something that it's funny that we're we talk we've been having this discussion, and I think we might, if we have time, we'll talk about it a bit here with the Chiefs' offense about this too high stuff, and oh my God, they can't play because they can't run the football, and they can't get teams that are too high, blah blah blah. It's the exact same thing is happening to the Bills, and the Bills are kind of built similarly on offense. You know, they're kind of Chiefs' light. And at some times, at some points in 2020, they were Chiefs plus. So I, I think this is the issue. I think you, you, when you talk about the RPOs, uh, especially as it relates to wide receiver blocking, is super important. First of all, they're not running as many downfield RPOs, I find. Mm-hmm. So Josh Allen used to hit these like RPO slants a lot. So now you don't give a shit about wide receiver blocking when you're running an RPO slant. When you're running an RPO screen, when you're running a, when you're or not even RPO, and you're just throwing the screen out there. You got to block somebody. 
and you're just not going to get as many yards as if you're when you're throwing behind the line of scrimmage compared to past the line of scrimmage. So I think that is a bit of a problem. And then the wide receiver blocking thing means, okay, well, if you don't want to be this 10 personnel, 11 personnel team anymore, you got a problem. Like if you want to slow things down and not be this like super fast tempo, super vertical offense with all these great receivers on the field because you can't uh, get them the ball down the field in good positions, who, who, who's blocking for you? Mm-hmm. Like they've they've had to, their best blocker is Gabriel Davis, right? Like that's and he's not he, he's not Robert Woods or Cooper Cup. He's right? just big. It's just what he is. He's, he's just six two twelve. That's what he is. Sanders isn't blocking. Cole's not blocking. Stephon's not blocking. So now you're getting the situation where teams and we've talked about this from the beginning. The Jaguars play cover two every fucking snap. Mm-hmm. It's just plain old cover two. Now, they did some cool creepers, they did some cool simulated pressures out of it, and they kind of got some free rushers because of that, which is really interesting. However, at the end of the day, they played a lot of cover two. And so you zone them up, you're not leaving any of your corners on, or any of your defensive players one-on-one with this great receiving core, and especially Stephon Diggs. And Allen just can't, can't figure it out. He just can't figure it out. The accuracy that was there for 2020, even against these type of coverages, is not there anymore. When he gets out of the pocket, which is something we've talked about, where when he, when he gets zone, he can get out of the pocket and pull defenders' eyes towards him, and then he'll find the opening uh, in the intermediate level. That's not happening anymore. So it does remind me a lot of what's happening with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs' offense. And their issue is kind of the same with the with the um, with the Chiefs. It's like. They don't. They don't want to run the football, right? So it's and, like, and, and I don't think they can really run the football. So it's like, well, what, what you're gonna to have to live in this world. The teams are gonna give you cover two every play. Yeah, so. and and I, I I go back to this all the time. The increased awareness in just general like football discourse that you should try to throw the ball instead of trying to run the ball. Just in general, throw the ball instead of running the ball. That's good. Has mutated itself into being you should throw the football rather than running the football and then you should just be able to do it against whatever no right you're gonna you're, you've built your team a certain way you built it to throw the ball a certain way like you'll notice with the with the bills the bills do not have a ball winner the chiefs do not have a ball winner at outside receiver they kind of do with josh gordon but it doesn't count so like you say all right you still want to be a deep passing team and you want uh a, a josh allen to get rid of the ball quickly go go throw go throw the outside back shoulder they don't have that player. Like they do with Stephon Diggs to a degree because Stephon Diggs is just all around good, but in general, it's not his game, right? And I, then you I, go I would and, say that's not even that's even Josh Allen's game. Right, and then you go and look at a team like the Steelers, right? Where it's like, all right, we don't like the Steelers' offense. It's not good, but... We actually draft. like the Steelers' offense. We don't like the quarterback. Right, but like in terms of like the passing game, it's like this is just uh, yeah, travesty. But ball comes out in 2.10 seconds, and they got a 6'5", 245-pound Canadian on the outside. Or they got Deontay Johnson, right? He was amazing on the back shoulder. And it's like they, they've, they've built the receiving core such that they know they can't drop back for a long time. They know they're going to snap dudes off off of routes and run all this, this crazy five guys in the concepts. So they're just going to pick a side and take their one-on-one. You, you, you build your passing game a certain way. And if defenses say line up and say, we're not, we're not going to let you throw deep, we're going to take away the deep dig, right? You look at how like the, the Steelers play the Bills in week one, like we're just going to take away the crossers, right? We're just going to sit and rob everything intermediate. All right, well, if you have to be able to run the football to this. You have to, because you can't just throw the ball against everything, independent of what the Rams are doing with Odell Beckham Jr. You can't just throw the football against everything. Uh, Chiefs didn't build for that, Bills didn't build for that. And it's really coming to bite them. 
And I, I think that the big thing to me with the Bills is not only can they not run the ball out of that, but when they want to run the ball, it's like the biggest tell in the world because they bring all these huge bodies into the game that they would never use at any other point in time in their offense. So it, and this is something I wrote about earlier in the year, which is when you are when you live in these worlds as a spread offense, you better be like top one percent in your RPO game because there's no other way to create conflict for defenses for you because everything's spaced out. You, again, this becomes the exact same way that we talk about like cover three as a defense and having to win all your one on ones basically and everybody being singled up. Like it's the same exact premise. When you start talking about being an 11 personnel spread all the time, now the defenses are more comfortable defending it. Um, and he's going to continue to see cover two. He's going to continue to see quarters. And you've got to be able to work those intermediate to underneath routes to pull linebackers forward if you are passing the ball. And then you got to live in the variance world of taking those shots on posts mm -hmm. and those deep digs and things like that. Um, so without the run game for them, I just don't. And this is something I talked about when I went on Ben, when I went to work, uh, work with uh, some of Ben's colleagues at the Ringer uh, on the podcast earlier this week, which is like one of the reasons I've had such such trouble with buying into uh, the Bills long term this year is because of that lack of a run game. And what I said there was, if if they are the team that I think they can be, it's going to be because their defense has made strides and a whole lot less to do with who Josh Allen is as a quarterback. Um, and I think that they are in some trouble offensively. I, I always just end up circling back to like, if you don't have a tight end who can realistically threaten and do everything, you just become, you just get stuck in spots. You just get stuck, like you're talking about bringing heavy personnel out onto the field, right? Even look at like the Chiefs just with Travis Kelsey who lines up a tight end a lot, but like functionally for them is more so of a wide receiver, right? Just in terms of like how they use him in the routes he gets into. If you don't have a player you can put on the field who doesn't tell the defense what you're planning on doing, you're, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle. You can still win it, if you have a good enough offense, good enough personnel, good enough scheme, whatever. But you do put yourself on the eight ball from the jump. You just want these teams to be able to live with like a like a, like a guy like Dawson Knox on the field and say we can do everything with this guy. Where we can we can still run a variety of stuff and leave him attached to the formation, get him into concepts. That's what I always just love about like the Packers with with their room of tight ends, like like Mercedes Lewis, Robert Tunyon, Josiah Deguara. These aren't amazing guys, but they can get them on the field and do enough with them such that you don't know what you're getting you don't have as clear of tendency and to me that's just the right way to go about it plus plus the two guys we've talked about before is alan lazard and mvs who can handle themselves you know kind of attached to the line of scrimmage right. on run plays and that helps a lot uh so yeah this is i'm i'm honestly concerned i think that there was always going to be a case that josh allen just continued his 2020 dominance and and, and it kept going but he's kind of regressed a bit, and if he doesn't, if, if he doesn't figure it out, they're going to have problems. Like they didn't play against a good defense, and they only right. scored six, two field goals. You know, and it was doing the same thing. So like Josh Allen has seen, uh, I have the, I forgot to pull up the stats, but Josh Allen has seen cover two, like straight cover two, uh, a lot this year. I think it's like the third most, and he's like bottom twenty, uh, or you know twenty to to 25 or even 25 to 30 range in, in yards per attempt and passing grade against cover two. So like all, all teams are doing is saying, we're not going to let you beat us over the top and you're going to have to find these holes in the zones that you just can't right now. Mm -hmm. And if we can get pressure with four, we're adding to this issue. 
And the two, the, the, the same thing that happened with with Pittsburgh early week one kind of happened with Jacksonville where you get cover two and you're getting maybe it's not like a four-man rush that is just straight killing them but they're coming with some with some interesting pressures mm-hmm. where they're dropping you know you saw Josh Allen the defensive end drop out and get an interception and they come with you know blitz and nickel drop the, the other guy and and they're getting pressured that way so yeah I'm I'm a, I'm I'm getting a little more concerned every week with this Bills offense because I do think it is exactly the type of issues that we've been talking about that this all, that this podcast is honestly built on, mm-hmm. which is like the spread is dead. All right. Uh, yeah. Oh, so Jordan Rodriguez of The Athletic, live updates for uh, Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, the Rams' official team website announced that they had signed Odell and then took it down. Uh, and Odell is telling reporters, including Justina Anderson, that he's still on the fence between the Rams and the Packers. So... This Rams, feels like money posturing to me. Yeah, I don't know what any of this this nonsense is. All I know is it's still exciting for both yeah, teams. Yeah, that this to me still feels he's probably trying to negotiate probably a yeah. couple extra dollars, trying to squeeze a few more dollars out of the Rams. Yeah. I, I don't think that ever it seemed like this this picked up too immediately for there to be right. no fire behind all the smoke. Yeah. I uh so yeah, I going back to our overarching conversation though, what all of this does you know, you don't want Allen being the guy to have to carry a passing offense against bad passing looks. Mahomes, best quarterback in the league, best throw in the league. There's absolutely no question. Chiefs offense is still struggling because they can't run the football against these looks. They can't get teams out of too deep. They can't get teams out of just rush four, rush three, whatever. All of it just reminds me of the fact that Lamar Jackson is just the greatest quarterback ever. Because all of these, all of these teams with Mahomes, with Allen, can't ask their quarterback to just do everything. They have to have a second answer. And the Ravens are still just sitting there being like, yes, we ask Lamar Jackson to do everything. He's just the whole offense. And still to this point, nobody's been able to, to figure out that solution just yet. Uh, and obviously it looks different in terms of, of how much they pass it and where they pass it and whatever. Like, you know, the throws that Allen and Mahomes make in terms of their highlight reels are better than the throws that Lamar makes. But still, there is no team week in or week out that asks their quarterback to do more than Lamar. And it just continues to work. And these other teams, these other very good quarterbacks, are also trying it. Don't work. Uh, I'll just, I just wanted to say this, not to, not to, um, to like get off your Lamar uh, topic too quickly, but we talk about running the. You can, you have to run teams out of too high. It's not entirely true. You can throw teams out of too high. You just got to be super precise, because teams don't want to give you. Again, it's always a numbers game, right? So if you're going to rush four and play too high, then you don't have a lot of, especially if you're going to play quarters, uh, or on the quarters variance, then you don't have a lot of guys in the intermediate area. Well, there's holes to throw the football there. So, but you gotta you got to have a quarterback that is willing to, and, a, and an offensive coordinator that is willing to create throws for him, and, and a quarterback that is accurate enough and, and can process fast enough to make those throws in the five to ten yard range that's going to force teams to say okay you know what maybe uh you know they're kind of eating us a little bit here so it's not necessarily the run game that can get you out of two, the teams that are too high but you can pass teams out of too high but it, it can't be it can't be kind of like honestly what i saw dable try to do against the jacksonville jaguars last week and just like everyone's just vertical mm-hmm. no one had a break under 12 yards in that game right. i swear so it's like that like we like that's not how we're going to do it but there are ways that we can do it uh, I guess we don't ever talk about the Chiefs that much um, before we get to our last topic because it, it, it's really the same 
conversation we've had. Unless there's anything, Ben, like, you know, we had this conversation, me and Deontay, last week about the Chiefs. Is there anything a little different that you've seen um, that you maybe feel like people aren't talking about when we're talking about the Chiefs' issues? No, I think that getting the Kelsey thing is the biggest thing uh, uh, in terms of his difficulty separating right now. That, to me, just feels like, right, if you want to throw teams out of too high, get your unbelievable tight end, put him on the option routes, you've been putting him on for three years, and just dice him up. They can't do that, and it's just because Kelsey's getting beat up in the contact window. I don't really know the solution to that. Like, again, it'd be nice to have a ball winner. It'd be nice to have a guy you can just throw a whole shot to. They don't really play that way. And, I, like, again, like I, even as I say it, I don't love that as an option. And that's the thing about throwing teams at a too high. I You can in the sense that you can, like, get the windows you want and you can make the throws that you want. But I would imagine if a defense coordinator sits in too high for a, a – 12 play drive against the Kansas City Chiefs in which Mahomes diced him up. They get to the side and they go, yeah, we're going to do that again. You know what I mean? Like, it, No, it, but yeah. I think he would say the same thing. Maybe. You might be right. I would say that he would might also say the same thing if they ran the ball and gashed them for a touchdown. Right. Because yeah, I think the chief, I think when you look across the field, right, he still scares the shit out of you too much. Yeah, there's a there's a little bit of like a human nature to it. It's like what Staley talks about, right, with the, the Chargers head coach, where it's like we're going to make you outpatient us. We're going to make you beat us not being what you want to be. And if you can sit there six six, 60 minutes, four quarters on your sideline and not like what you're doing, but know it will beat us, kudos, hat tip, congratulations. But I don't think you can, right? And that's what it is. It's like, you, I say like, oh, you know, you can't really throw the uh, opposing defenses out of two high because they'll just sit in and stay in it. It's easy for me to say that on a Thursday in my sweatpants on a podcast. Your defensive coordinator on the sideline is a lot trickier. All right, so let's finish. Um, well, let's finish by talking about finances. Ben, how, how are your finances? You know what, Ben? Whether it's football success or financial savvy, the right questions help set the stage for winning strategies. Western and Southern is teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collinsworth to share insights that can help put you ahead on both your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Want to hear about Chris's old playing days or behind the scenes with Al Michaels on Sunday Night Football? How about a need to know for your financial future? Now you can ask about either or both. And every football or financial question you ask earns you a chance to win a catered party for February's big game. Check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western and Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that is westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, with Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. I want people to know this before we get on to, again, like I said, the last topic. Benjamin Solak is the biggest degenerate that I know. And people don't, I just want people to know, because people don't know this about you. That you're, you are, you are like A-class degenerate uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of your, look uh, <laughs> Look at uh, Seth spelling chat chat knowledge. <laughs> you're just a degenerate. Here, listen. You, you like football a lot, and you're a degenerate. That's all I want to say. I appreciate that. I do uh, gamble on sports, and <laughs> I think in general you're not a degenerate if you win, and that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> uh, Benjamin yeah. Sharp, the people are calling yeah. him. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. All right, so, yeah. Uh, Deontay, uh, big game this weekend, Sunday Night Football. It's going to be the Chiefs and the Raiders. Uh, honestly, like these teams, whoever wins kind of stays in the division race. I think whoever loses might, might be out of it. W- one of the issues with uh, the Raiders over the past few years has been their 
porous defense. They bring in Gus Bradley. They're now about league average defensively. What's what's changed there uh, when you look at the Raiders' defense? Uh, or is it just Gus Bradley doing his thing? Gus Bradley is being Gus Bradley. Yeah, We're down, cover three, you don't blitz, you play cover one, and, you know, you, you take away all the explosive passes and you hope that you have the pass rush to get it done, and they have had that this year. Um, that's been – and the way that they're winning is honestly – one of the most surprising things in the world to me because it's not like they're running a bunch of like stunts up front where they're picking and twisting guys they don't they don't blitz their last in blitz rate but they're first in win rate so they're really just asking their guys on the edge go win beat the tackle get to the quarterback we'll crush their pocket on the interior go beat the offensive tackle off the edge and affect the qb and we're going to play soft coverage behind it and force the ball to be checked down and that's been the recipe for success um, but top 10 in quick pressure, so pressure within, you know, less than two and a half seconds. They're first in overall pressure rate, and they're the only team over 50%. So they have been at, like, a ridiculous level of pass rush all year long. Whether or not that's sustainable, I don't know. I mean, I really like Max Crosby and the rest of the pass rush unit. I don't know if they're 54% pressure rate good, but they've been they've been that, that good so far in terms of playing the results, so... From that perspective alone, I think that this is the kind of defensive performance that can give a team like the Chiefs trouble, even if they are playing a bunch of single high, because they don't have to invest so much in getting after the quarterback. Uh, so that's kind of like my my matchup to watch. If they can't, if the Chiefs can't find explosive plays down the field and have trouble protecting Mahomes against his pass rush, then I think we're going to have to revisit once again the state of this Chiefs offense, and it might not just be a defensive issue and their quarterback pressing to do a little bit too much. I'm definitely interested in just like, hey, this is the type of defense that the Chiefs have annihilated for three years now. Mm-hmm. So what do we get here? Do we get uh, something that plays out where Gus Bradley runs his stuff, he runs his cover three, he, he spins the safety down every snap, he shows it every snap or whatever it is, and the Chiefs just can't do anything still? That's that's the end, right? Like I think we're saying like that would be the end, and they lose the game, and they just it would be tough to climb back in the division that way. Or is Gus Bradley saying, "Hey, you know what? I've watched the tape, and every time uh, I put it on the tape now, when I watch the the Chiefs' offense, everyone's playing too high. So I'm going to do it too, even though I'm Gus Bradley and I've never done it. I don't even have it in my playbook. Like so, I think that's a dilemma that I think is super interesting. Uh, I would. It would be very, um, I feel like it would be really boring if Gus Bradley played his normal stuff and the Chiefs torched it and that was it, right? Like, that's not, that's no narr- there's no narrative behind that, right? Right. It is worth noting that in week two of 2020, the Chiefs played the Chargers and Gus Bradley was the defense coordinator of the Chargers. And at this time, remember, there were no chinks in the Chiefs' armor on offense at all. Nothing existed to stop this team. They scored 23 offensive points. They had to put together a game-tying drive in regulation, and then they kicked a game-winning field goal in overtime. Uh, all Gus Brad, that that was just rush four, right? And that's the thing is like there's two defining characteristics to what teams are playing against the Chiefs. There's the too deep stuff, but there's also the we don't blitz Mahomes anymore stuff. And to me, the 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 generation process there, right? The chicken and the egg. To me, the first thing is we don't blitz. And then the second thing is, because we're not blitzing, 
when we've got seven we can play in coverage now we can play a lot of two deep because we just have the numbers to do it right and so to me like bradley does have a key part of the stop stop mahomes offense formula that we've seen this year which is the i don't blitz part and he does it less in terms of not blitzing than anybody else so we've we've seen that work against kansas city last year with the chargers and it was the two outside rushers joey Bo- nick Bo- joey bosa i can never remember which one's where Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram dominating the tackles. I don't need to tell you the Chiefs tackles are worse this year. And I don't need to tell you that Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby are playing outside the God-given lines. So to me, the what worked for Bradley with the Chargers in 2020 is going to work for him in 2021, which is even if he's not playing too deep, I'm going to rush four. They're insanely good on early down rushes too. And to, to Deontay's point, they don't ask Crosby and Ngakwe to play the run on any down. There's no read it it's just line up wide and go uh that's gonna work first and first and ten second and ten doesn't matter right that's gonna play so to me I, I think they do have what to me is the more key ingredient in the formula which is we do not blitz this guy we do not give him fewer than seven defenders in coverage we have to have that many to occupy as much space as possible that's our rule and so i i, I see it working i see as a, a sad kansas city offense performance in prime time against the raiders as weird as that sentence is so uh let me give you some stats here not to um i know you said that the they had a good day against him week two last year okay epa per play maybe says a different story no, not, the good, point, you're good. not the point um so here's here's the chiefs versus the chargers in the 17 18 and 19 regular season which i believe gus bradley was there for all three years if i'm not mistaken um 0.126 EPA per play for the Chiefs over what I guess that's six games. So they're still they they've still been able to move the football. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing I think they is scored the like 38 in, later against the Chargers that season. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. The success rate is very low. Uh, so it's only 44%, 44.5% success. That's like the rate. opposite of what they've been this year, where they've been low EPA and then high success rate. Okay. Exactly right. So that that has been kind of I feel like pretty normal. So it's going to be interesting to see what Gus Bradley does. Uh, this year against them. Okay. Uh, ben? What's up? Yeah. Where are you going? Where are you from? What's your plug yourself? I don't know. Uh, I'm from Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, Northeast PA, Poconos. I'm 45 minutes outside of Scranton. Anybody watches The Office? My prom was at the Radisson in Scranton, so I think they mentioned Stroudsburg once on the show. Anyway, go Mountaineers. Go Sebastian Joseph Day, Stroudsburg Mountaineers alum. Sixth round pick out of Rutgers. Never would have told you ever that he would have become this player. I was probably the only draft guy to watch him coming out of Rutgers because I went to high school with him. And so shout out Sebastian Joseph Day. Um, but yeah, I'm at the Ringer. Uh, Ringer NFL show on Monday, Friday. Ringer gambling show for the degenerates uh, on Wednesday as well. All my written stuff up there at the Ringer. Uh, we have a really good time. And uh, yeah, i uh, happy to be back on the show. Always enjoy Seth asking me arbitrary questions because he doesn't know how to close an episode.